0: Silicon Valley, it's the nickname for the world's tech center brain pool that's located in the state of California in America. It encompasses the southern portion of the San Francisco Bay area. Over time, the name has become famous. The word silicon originally referred to the large number of innovators and manufacturers of silicon chips located in the area. Silicon Valley is now home to many of the world's largest high-tech corporations and scores of well-known companies, including the headquarters of 39 businesses in the Fortune 1000. But did you know there is a 1.4 kilo entity that can fit in your hand that's more advanced than anything produced in Silicon Valley and is 30 times more powerful than any of the computer inventions made by these innovative companies. There is, it's the human brain. Stay with us to hear something truly amazing about your brain. Humans have been puzzled, awestruck, confused, interested, and even delighted with the brain for eons. One of the earliest of such individuals on record was a Greek physician by the name of Hippocrates. Hippocrates said that the brain had four divisions and named them choleric, phlegmatic, sanguine, and melancholy. In his doctoral dissertation, and using a variety of research tools, W. Eugene Brewer linked each of these terms with a region of the brain. It's been said that you can manage something effectively only when you can identify, label, and describe it. But how do we do that with the brain? Well, today's guest, a brain function specialist, can help us figure this out. Dr. Arlene Taylor, is the founder and president of Realizations Inc, a non-profit corporation that engages in brain function research and provides unique educational resources. The author of several popular books related to brain function and practical applications to relationships and everyday living, and creator of the Longevity Lifestyle Matters program, Dr. Taylor speaks internationally. Dr. Taylor, Welcome to The Incredible Journey, and we're so glad that you're with us for today's program.
1: Thank you, Gary. I'm very glad to be here.
0: I'm starting to hear a lot of talk about downshifting in relation to the brain. What's that all about?
1: It's an interesting term. Usually when you hear the term downshifting, you think of a vehicle, but it is being applied to brain function. It describes what we call a natural brain phenomenon. It's not learned. It's innate. Happens automatically. It's the brain's response. It's what the brain does when it perceives it's not safe. So it's fearful about something, feels unsafe. Automatically, it begins to downshift. It's designed and best used for real threat in the short term. You know, something happens. And it's not, you know, it's going to not take three years to resolve, but something happens. The brain feels momentarily unsafe. It downshifts. It was never designed for long-term prolonged use because you always give up something to get something.
0: So it's an immediate response by the brain to some threat. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't say it better myself. Now when most people hear the term downshifting or changing gears, they probably think about it in terms of vehicles, cars, trucks, whatever. How does it relate to the brain? It's a good metaphor. It's absolutely a wonderful metaphor. So if you
1: compare what we call brain downshifting or changing gears, think about a truck, automatic transmission, three gears. The, the most effective way for that truck to function on the highway is in the top gear. As it's driving along, let's say that it comes to a part of the road that it's really bumpy or there's some a gravel patch or there's some potholes. Without even sometimes putting on the brake or if you have to put on the brake, the automatic transmission will go from third to second because it wants you to get through this Mm -hmm. bad patch. Mm -hmm. Supposing it happens when you're driving in the mountains and now you've also got a steep incline, the automatic transmission may go clear down to first Mm -hmm. in order to get you through. And if the terrain or the driving conditions are so bad that you can't even get through on first, then you're gonna stall. The degree of threat to the engine, if you want to talk about it that way, influences whether you go from third to second, from second all the way to first, or whether you stall. All right, the same thing happens in the brain.
0: Every driver has experienced the positives and the negatives of downshifting or changing gears. When the brain downshifts or changes gears, where does it go to? If you look at the screen, you will see a drawing of half a
1: brain showing the three brain layers, or in this metaphor, three gears pulled apart so you can clearly see the three levels. So first gear is brainstem cerebellum. Yes. Second gear or layer is, of course, the corpus callosum, Both of these are subconscious, automatic. And then you come to the third gear, or neocortex, and that's where you have conscious thought. So when you're purring along the highway of life, and everything is going quite well, you can metaphorically experience that you're in top gear. Now a problem comes up or you have a car accident or something adverse happens and the brain feels unsafe. I don't know how this is gonna affect me. I don't know how I'm gonna recover. Is my insurance gonna cover the damage to the vehicles? Whatever it is. And the brain consciously begins to feel unsafe, uncertain and secure. It will first downshift, change gears, into this second layer, looking for some brain function that will help it feel safer. And if it doesn't find it in the second gear, it will go clear down to the first gear. Because in the first gear are the stress responses. Case in point, fight flight. That's a stress response. You get down there and you make a decision. Am I gonna run away or am I going to fight? What am I gonna do to help myself feel safer? And then hopefully, as this gets resolved, the brain will upshift, change gears from first to second, and you're back up to third.
0: So Dr. Taylor, what kind of things, events, or experiences would cause our brain to change gears? Number one, any type of threat any type of threat, and
1: that's defined as anything that makes this brain feel at least momentarily helpless. You know, how am I I going to solve this? And when you look at the big picture, it's any situation that involves trauma, a crisis of any kind, or any type of fear, which also includes anxiety and worry. So when any of those exist, The brain tends to direct its energy and attention away from this conscious third layer neocortex and begins to change gears, in America we call it downshifting, to the second brain layer, the second gear, and if that solves it well and good, if it doesn't, it'll go clear down to the first gear.
0: Dr. Taylor, it's obvious that the ability to automatically downshift or change gears can be life-saving, beneficial. It also suggests that if the brain downshifts, changes gears when it's not necessary to do so, then there can be some undesirable consequences. Now, do you have any examples of what those might be?
1: I can give you a
0: few. (laughs) You're absolutely right that the
1: ability to change gears automatically can be life-saving. You can immediately choose to run away, to remove yourself from the situation if that's possible. And if you can't do that, then you sometimes have to stand up for yourself and even fight. If you have changed gears from imaginary fears or because you don't feel safe, but there's really no reason for that, You've just watched a lot of really scary movies and they've put scary thoughts in your mind if you change gears under those conditions and even if you change gears after a major trauma which most people do because it's a shock they're fearful about the outcome there there can be negative consequences especially especially if if it's prolonged downshifting. So here's some examples. Studies show that in the middle of a crisis people tend to recall less than 15 percent of what was actually said to them. So 85 they, percent they don't seem to register or remember. And you have heard people arguing about this. I told you that. No you didn't. I know I told you that and I know you didn't. Well, one or both of them maybe have been downshifted and they just don't remember. So you have little kids that come to school from dangerous or dysfunctional home environments and they're down looking how to feel safer. They don't learn. They can't learn. They're down in a part of the brain that doesn't allow them to cognitively process Mm -hmm. information. Well... If you move into fight flight and you don't need to be there and you punch somebody out and alter the shape of their nose or you withdraw from your spouse and don't want to talk because you're frightened, you're gonna create more problems. You're gonna create messes that now you have to clean up. I think the most important thing for many people who study the brain is that as this energy and attention especially if it's anger or fear, goes third gear down to first gear quickly, you lose easy access to what we call key functions in the prefrontal cortex portion behind the forehead. So what are some of those key functions? Well, planning, making choices that will give you positive outcomes instead of negative outcomes, Uh, morality, what are your standards, Uh, Willpower. How do you use willpower? How have you developed conscience and are you using conscience? Are you honest or are you dishonest? Uh, Are you using restraint when you get suddenly an idea to do something? Do you think about them for a minute and decide do I really want to do that and face the potential consequences? You know, you lose that inhibition ability can't brainstorm solutions, hard to problem-solve, and so on. So you can understand that people who live in an environment uh, with behaviors that trigger the emotion of anger, or they're fearful for their lives, or fearful for the safety of their loved ones, they're handicapped because they've lost the easy access to those critical functions that make us quintessentially human.
0: So is there anything we can do to help prevent downshifting or changing gears when there's really no valid threat? There absolutely is,
1: Gary, because you remember the two main emotions that trigger the brain to change gears, anger anger, and and fear. Now, there are two types of fear, there's genuine This is a threat fear when you must do something to take action to keep yourself safe. And there's what we call imaginary fears. And every human being has imaginary fears of some type or another. So what are imaginary fears? Well, they're fears like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not good looking enough. Or... I'm not smart enough. I can't compete in the world because I'm I'm dumb. Or nobody's gonna love me. I'm I'm just not lovable. Nobody, God isn't even gonna love me. Mm. Or I'm never gonna I'm never gonna be successful. I I just am never gonna make enough money. How can I even support my family? you multiply that by the billions of people in this world, and every brain has some imaginary fears. So if you want to prevent unnecessary changing of gears, then take a look at those imaginary fears. Resolve them. I tell people, come on, you look like you look. There's no two people as far as we know that have the same thumbprints, identical twins don't even look identical. You are who you are. Mm -hmm. Make the best of it and be glad who you are. Give up those imaginary fears. There's always going to be somebody who you think looks better than you. There'll always be somebody who you think you look better than. The comparisons are odious. Give it up. And you go through your fears and you resolve them. And believe me, you can prevent unnecessary downshifting, changing of gears.
0: So if you downshift, change gears unnecessarily, what can you do about it? You can have a pre-planned strategy up your
1: sleeve to help you upshift. For example, I have two strategies that are in my pocket, so to speak. I've thought about them ahead of time, when I begin to recognize that I must be downshifted because I'm getting into that really rigid, not brainstorming type of thinking, I do one or both. My first strategy is if I can possibly think of anything funny about what's going on and laugh about it, I automatically upshift, change gears up to third layer. And that's because... In this top third layer, Mm -hmm. the functions of humor live in the right frontal lobe. So if we were looking at this, here's humor in the right frontal lobe. And the ability to laugh is in Broca's area in the left frontal lobe. So if I can picture that something's funny about this and start laughing, I know I'm upshifted. Done Mm -hmm. deal. Occasionally, the situation has no redeeming humorous characteristics whatsoever. So then I have to go to my second strategy. Research has shown that fear and gratitude cannot simultaneously exist in the brain. And since fear is a major downshifter that'll change gears from three to one in a nanosecond, all I have to do is concentrate on something for which to be grateful. And I will upshift because, again, the conscious recognition of gratitude occurs in the prefrontal cortex. There is always something for which to be grateful, mm-hmm. Gary. Mm-hmm. The problem is many human beings do not practice daily gratitude. And so when you need to grab, I'm thankful for something, they can't find anything. So I have trained myself. The last thing when I go to bed at night, I think of something for which I'm grateful. The first thing I think of in the morning is something for which to be grateful. And several times throughout the day, I practice daily gratitude. If I downshift, when I really didn't need to, or I needed to but I wanna get upshifted, get back to third gear in a hurry. I have a whole cadre of things for which I am thankful that I can access immediately and get back up to third gear.
0: Dr. Taylor, thank you for sharing with us brain information that deals with the practical side of everyday life. We really appreciate having you being with us today.
1: And I appreciate being invited to talk to you about this, Gary, thank you.
0: Anger is a natural emotion we all experience from time to time. It's one of those emotions that can be both positive and negative, depending on how we react to it. It isn't a bad emotion just by virtue of what it is. It's not exactly wrong to feel angry. The real issue is, how we handle it If we respond to people and situations in an explosion of angry words and actions that harms everyone the people around us and ourselves our brain changes gears down to the first layer so that's obviously the wrong way to deal with it How then do we deal with anger How do we get ahead of anger Well, the Bible gives us some simple principles that can help us deal with the most volatile and annoying situations. The first is found in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse one. Here's what it says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's so simple, yet profound. A gentle or soft response will squash the anger inside. You see, when we vent anger, it's never gentle. It's usually loud, blunt, and hurtful. When we let rip when we're angry, we use words that we wouldn't normally use. So Bible principle number one in dealing with anger, respond gently or softly. Next, we turn to Ephesians chapter four and verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Anger can come on quickly. And if you're not prepared for it, you'll react by lashing out and hurting others around you. Make the decision now to not let anger control you. When you feel it, recognise it and take steps to manage it. Don't hide it, don't deny it, Deal with it, because the longer you sit on it, the worse it will get. That's why I think this Bible advice is really good. Don't end the day still angry. It's not good to end the day with all that anger and frustration bottled up inside you. Don't hold on to anger and frustration. Deal with it, work through it, talk about it, sort it out before the day ends. So Bible principle number two in dealing with anger, don't hold on to anger and frustration, deal with it. Next, we turn to Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You can't change how someone treats you, but you can choose to respond to them with kindness. And we can do this because God in Christ forgave us. When we remember what Jesus did for us and how much he loves us, it empowers us to forgive and to love others. We begin to value other people when we see how much Jesus loves us. So there's Bible principle number three in dealing with anger. Forgive those who have wronged us or made us angry. Anger is a natural emotion we all experience from time to time. It's one of those emotions that can be both positive and negative depending on how we react to it. It isn't a bad emotion just by virtue of what it is. It's not exactly wrong to feel angry. The real issue is how we handle it. God wants us to experience peace and happiness in our lives and so in the Bible, He gives us some simple, practical advice on dealing with anger and it's worth putting it into practice in our lives. Your relationships are worth it. Your sanity is worth it. If you'd like to know more about God's advice for dealing with anger and hurt in our lives, then I'd like to recommend the free offer we have for all our viewers today. It's the book, How to Plug the Angry Volcano. This book is our gift to you and is absolutely free. There are no costs or obligations whatsoever. Many have been blessed and inspired by this book, How to Plug the Angry Volcano. So make the most of this wonderful opportunity to receive the free gift we have for you today. Here's the information you need.
2: Phone or text 0436 in Australia or 020 422 2042 in New Zealand or visit our website tij.tv or simply scan the QR code on your screen and we'll send you today's free offer totally free of charge and with no obligation. So don't delay. Phone or text 0436 in Australia or 020 422 2042 in New Zealand or visit our website Tij.tv or simply scan the QR code on your screen and we'll send you today's free offer completely free of charge and with absolutely no obligation. Write to us at GPO Box 274, Sydney, New South Wales, 2001, Australia or P.O. Box 76673, Manukau, Auckland, 2241, New Zealand. Don't delay. Call or text us now.
0: The Bible gives us these simple yet practical and profound ways to deal with anger and it's worth putting them into practice in our lives. Your relationships are worth it. Your own sanity is worth it. Peace of mind is something you can't buy. And when your mind and heart are at peace, the world is a happier place and you'll find the true freedom and fulfilment that God intended for your life. If that's what you really want in your life, why not ask for it right now as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us with many emotions, all of which we need for healthy and creative living. When we are hurt and angry, help us to remember your love for us and the Bible principles you have given us to deal with hurt and anger. Lord, we want our relationships to be healthy and happy, and we pray for the peace and fulfilment that comes from knowing you. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.